Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. I have been asked to speak on church growth in Sri Lanka, and I I thought I would use a verse which, uh, to me, uh, talks about how church grows uh, anywhere in the world. And this is Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Let us not grow weary in in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Uh, I think that is the story of the way church growth has taken place in Sri Lanka. In 1948, we received independence, uh, and um, uh, the church experienced what we might call post-colonial blues. Uh, People were embarrassed by the fact that we were associated with the former rulers of our nation. And uh, there was, a, there was a, anything that uh, reminded people of this sense that people thought they were more uh, superior. They were superior uh, to us, uh, which, which is one of the things that came as a result of colonialism, the idea that one group of people is superior and therefore can rule another group of people. Anything that reminded them of that, the church tried to give away, give up. And so one of the first things that went uh, away was the, uni- the idea that Christ is unique. And, uh, and when you give up that idea, it's no, it's no uh, uh, surprise that membership began to drop. And we began to see a steady drop in the membership of the Christian church in Sri Lanka. Some people who became Christians in order to get jobs and things like that, uh, went back to Buddhism. And, um, and evangelism uh, was generally associated with renewing Christians, not with going to the outside, to those outside the faith. And um, less and less people were getting converted. And those who believed that the Bible was fully inspired by God and that we must preach the gospel to others because Christ is the only way for salvation, we were considered fools. Just a small group of people who are living in another era. We have gone beyond that, said most many of the people in the church. I still remember as a teenager, uh, we heard a sermon in my church. Um, a visiting preacher came and he talked on how, um, how when we go to heaven, uh, we are going to be surprised that people were converted, not only through the gospel, but through the other faiths that they were converted through those religions. Uh, I was so upset that I walked out in the middle of the service. My mother is much bolder than I am. She didn't walk out. She waited till the end of the service. And when the service was over, she went to the vestry behind and gave the pastor a piece of her mind. <laughs> she told him, him uh, the danger of what he was trying to teach. Um, Yet there was a remnant of people who continued to believe that the Bible was the word of God. Uh, We were grateful for people like John Stott, uh, J.I. Packer, Carl Henry, who would make visits to our country. And uh, by by their visits, they showed that you don't have to commit intellectual suicide if you are going to be a Bible-believing Christian. And and these people were nurtured uh, very often by parachurch organizations, 
that still had an evangelistic vision and by a few evangelical pastors that remained. And in my life, uh, foremost among them was an Irish missionary about whom I have talked, uh, Reverend George Good, um, who in, in actually for my whole family really helped ground us in the Bible and taught us that the Bible is a worthy book and that you can preach from the Bible. Um, I belong to the Methodist Church and uh, this was the situation in our church, very much the situation in our church. But these few evangelicals who remained, they latched themselves onto the evangelistic, evangelism department of the Methodist Church. And that department began to grow. And, um, and so, um, uh, as it began to grow, the idea of taking the gospel to unreached people also began to grow. And so they started two evangelist training colleges, one in the Sinhalese language, other in the Tamil language. And they started these colleges to train evangelists to go to unreached areas. And this structure went side by side with the old structure. If you brought it into the old structure, it would have, it would have crushed it. So there were these young evangelists who were going to unreached areas and starting churches and people were coming to Christ and little by little that structure began to grow. And of course during this time other newer churches began to grow and little by little the Methodist church also began to be influenced by those churches. Today um, this congregation, the Methodist church has grown numerically. It's, it's one of the future uh, mainline denominations that has grown. And it has grown even though a lot of members have left the country. A lot of people left our country during the war. Uh, and so a lot have gone, but even though they have gone, new people have been reached for Christ. And so they have been growing. So that's something that's quite exciting. Um, I belong to the old structure of the church. I was not in an unreached area. I was in the city of Colombo. And I'm a local preacher in the Methodist Church. So one Sunday, I was sent to, a, to preach in a church. And uh, it was a Sinhalese-speaking congregation. And uh, there were two, uh, a young couple who had come to Christ through our ministry. And they were living at our home at that time. So I took them along. They still didn't have a church or anything. They were brand new Christians. And, um, and uh, we went there, and just the four of us were there. And the church custodian said, oh, we haven't had anyone at this service for about three or four months. And we uh, knelt down and we prayed. Well, my colleague, uh, the other person, he can't kneel because he was uh, paralyzed from his waist down. Um, we prayed, Lord, do something in this church. And he got a vision. And he felt, I want to make, he didn't have a church. He said, I want to make this my church. And so he uh, went and met some of the, uh, he, he had a motorcycle which had a sidecar uh, and because he was uh, paralyzed from waist down. And he would go with, on this motorcycle, visit people, and we started having churches. I, I moved, my wife and I moved our membership to this church, and we started with just the two couples. Little by little, there were one more, two more that came. And then those who came began to call other people. They called their friends. If they had a neighbor who had a problem, they would say, come to our church, we'll pray for you. Our God can meet your need. And so people began to come. And little by little, the church began to grow. And today we have a, a group of, of over 100 people 
who are worshipping God, almost all of them converts from Buddhism and a few from Hinduism. Uh, and th this was the story. Of course, I must say that as we started this, we had a lot of problems because I soon realized I I'm a person who's grown up in a Western family, Westernized family. I love Bach and Handel and uh, for my own devotion still, even though I don't do any ministry in English at home, my, uh, still in my pr personal life, it is the Methodist hymn book that I use to sing and to worship God. And we tried to get those people to sing those hymns translated and they just couldn't sing. So we realized we had to change our style of worship and we began to institute a lot of changes in the style of worship, having the same principles of worship that were there through the centuries, but doing it in a slightly different form. And some people thought I'm doing something very dangerous. So a petition went uh, against me to the church and I noticed, I found out later that everyone had said, we must stop this in the senior committee, except two people. Uh, one of whom was, was my brother, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, I got this letter, you know, asking me to, like a charge sheet with all the allegations against me, asking me to reply. And I was so discouraged. Here we were, I'm not getting any salary, I'm just doing this as part of my, uh, you know, as my volunteer work, and people are coming to Christ and see what these people are doing. Uh, but, uh, and many people said, give up. Don't, uh, don't waste your time. You can do other things. But we felt God had called us to this church. And now the whole climate has changed. The, in so much so that people who are not evangelicals are saying, we don't have a place in this denomination. We are having a hard time surviving in this place. So if we are not, if we, uh, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not faint. Um, what happened was uh, till the 1970s mainly the churches were in urban and suburban areas. They were westernized middle class churches. Those were the Protestant churches in the country. But we had 25,000 villages or maybe 30,000 villages in the country and um, there was no Christian witness in those villages. So in the 80s some of us leaders felt that this is the time for the church to go out. And so uh, missions conferences were planned and the challenge of the villagers was presented. And what happened was that the newer denominations and later the older ones caught this vision and people began to go. And now you find churches in all through the country, there are people who are worshiping God. It's an amazing sight, it's a wonderful thing to see. It's not been a huge church, you know, huge people movement. It's been very slow going, and yet it's happening. Churches have started in unreached areas, and young, untrained, enthusiastic young people are going in, and they are breaking new ground, and, uh, and then bringing people to Jesus Christ. My own ministry has had three stages. My own ministry outside my own Youth for Christ ministry has had three distinct stages. In the first few years, first 10 years or so, we were arguing for the uniqueness of Christ, that the gospel is the only way to salvation. Once that job was done, we realized we needed to send people. So the next 10 years or so was sending, pushing people to go, challenging them, 
and presenting the needs of the unreached. And the last 15 years or so has been ministering to those who went because they were young people, they needed a lot of help. So that's the way my ministry has gone. Usually it takes five, but more often 10, sometimes 15 years before a church can take root in a new area. All sorts of stories are spread about Christians and, and they are presented as a challenge to the structure of the village. And so until the, the church takes root, there's going to be opposition. People are going to come for the wrong reasons and it's, it's a terrible time. Children are assaulted, houses are stoned and um, sometimes churches are even burnt. And, uh, and so it's a difficult time and many people give up because it's so hard, but others persevere. And those who have persevered have seen fruit. Of course, we have learned lessons. For example, Dario talked about going back, going and meeting the people of the village. Uh, what happened uh, in, in many of our churches was the gospel was preached, people came to Christ, they were persecuted, so we protected them from the village and didn't really engage the culture didn't go into the community and become part of that community. I think that lesson was learned and now uh, the, the strategy is changing so that we will remain significant people within the community even though we belong to the community of Christ. Um, one, uh, one morning I gave the story of a church and I think I'm going to repeat that story today. Uh, it's about a church, it's about a person, a young man who went with his wife to a very strong non-Christian area to do ministry. And as often happens, stories were spread about him and all sorts of terrible things were done. And finally, one day they had planned this, a, a little child came into the house, uh, the pastor's house, and then ran out claiming that he had sexually abused her, abused him. And um, the the, the news just spread and this pastor was, it was a Friday, he was arrested uh, and they planned it for a Friday so that he'll have to spend the whole weekend uh, before getting bail. The head of his denomination came and, um, and told uh, uh, and tried to get bail, find a lawyer to get bail for this person. No lawyer was willing to appear on behalf of this person. Finally, they found a Muslim who was willing to do that, a Muslim lawyer, and he got him out and, and th this young minister said, I can't do this work. This is impossible. How can I stay after this terrible story has been spread? And their leader said, God called you here. Don't give up. You stay. God will give you fruit. And, um, and he did stay, though he didn't go out of his house for a long period of time, maybe one month. He didn't leave the house because he was so much ashamed of the stories that had been spread about him. Then came the tsunami. Now during the tsunami, some houses, some churches were destroyed. Others were spared. This was one of the churches that was spared because the church was on a higher elevation than the rest of the village. So the villagers came to the church for refuge. And the man who had uh, masterminded this whole plan of, uh, of getting this story spread about this pastor, he lost his wife and his daughter and his son in the tsunami and he had a daughter and he came weeping to this pastor and he said please look after my daughter until I'm able to find something and start life again 
the merry man who had accused him of sexual abuse of his little boy. Now that church has grown. They have a big church building. And the government has recognized them. But the start was hard work. Those who persevere will see the fruit. And as you think of your, your country, as you think of the West as it's rejecting the gospel more and more, I think the calling is for people who will refuse to give up. Refuse to give up on this nation. Refuse to give up and say, we will surrender. No, people who with such a passion for the gospel will say, we'll do anything so that people will come to Christ. Let me repeat that verse again. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.